Morning, everybody. That was a bit lackluster. Morning. Hey, great to see you. Great to be with you this morning. And uh, this morning, as I woke up and, and stretched and thought about what the day lay, what lay ahead, I thought, I think Martin and Steph Webb are leading the service this morning. How exciting is that? Yeah, that was genuinely the first thought. <laughs> So in just a moment, we're going to read from Revelation 21. Uh, If you want to find that now in your Bibles, it's on page 1249. And uh, we're going to read a few selected verses from uh, the book of Revelation in chapter 21. So just have, um, have a finger in that. One of the things that I love doing as part of my job is uh, working with children and going and doing schools ministry. And uh, about once a term, I go into Wickham Church of England Primary School and they run something called the Big Questions. And they do this with uh, all the clergy that go in to visit. And the Big Questions basically is that a particular class will come up with a list of like big questions about life and faith and sort of nothing's off limits. And they come up with this question. I get sent it by the class teacher normally about five or six days in advance. And I've then got to go in and I'm given half an hour in front of this class to talk to them about these big questions that they've got, some of which are quite complicated. And uh, I really, really enjoy doing it. And one of the questions that comes up quite often, and I actually found that in our previous church, a lot of the schools I used to go and work in, this question came up with them as well, was, where is God? Like, literally, where, where is he? If I want to go and find him, where does he live? Where, where is he? That's the question that always got asked. Where is God? And um, it's a really good question because um, we're called to worship God. We teach people to pray to God and to talk to him, but we can't see him. And for that matter, where is heaven? Because heaven, we're told, is where God lives. We're sort of told that as believers, when we die, it's the place that we go to. But where is it? Is heaven a geographical location? Is it another dimension? Is it a realm outside of time and space? Is it a state of mind? Where is it? Where is heaven? And in the Gospels, Jesus spoke again and again about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And he used those phrases interchangeably. And we're in the middle at the moment of a preaching series here on Sundays looking at the kingdom of God. And so Jesus used this repeatedly. And there's one occasion in Luke's gospel where Jesus is in conversation with the Pharisees, some of the religious teachers of his day, and they pick him up on this question of the kingdom of heaven and basically say to him, what, what's the deal with you always talking about the kingdom of heaven? What is this kingdom of heaven and when will we get to see it? And Jesus gives this brilliant response to the Pharisees. He says, the kingdom of heaven is not something that can be observed. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. And in some translations, it says, the kingdom of heaven is within. 
The kingdom of heaven is within. The kingdom of heaven is wherever and whenever and in whomever God is king. The kingdom is wherever God is king. And uh, in that reading that we're going to have in just a moment, the one upon the screen from Revelation 21, um, the Apostle John, who is the writer of this, uh, of this bit in the Bible, gives us this amazing vision where we get a glimpse of what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Now, if you're not that familiar with the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible, it's a weird book, to say the least. So um, you, you sort of don't approach it uh, without a little bit of caution. So the book of Revelation basically is a vision. And the Apostle John, who was one of the followers of Jesus, after Jesus ascends into heaven and the apostles are scattered and they begin to plant churches, um, John finds himself arrested by the Roman authorities because he won't stop preaching the good news of Jesus. And he is exiled to a little Greek island called the Isle of Patmos, which is in the Aegean Sea. And it's while he's living in exile on the Isle of Patmos that Jesus meets with him. The risen Jesus meets with John in this phenomenal vision. And there are strange creatures that appear and, and all kinds of weird, what theologians call apocalyptic visions that John has. And the climax of it, if you like, is this picture that he has of what the end times will look like. When Jesus returns to earth and the earth as we know it comes to an end, what will it, what will it look like? Um, do you want to take that off the screen, Rachel? That's not a subliminal message. <laughs> give, give us your money. Um, so... <laughs> So let's read this passage together. Revelation 21, and it's page uh, 1249. So I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to go on to verses uh, 22 to the end of the chapter. So Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these words down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will bring water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children." But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And skip on to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the book of life. So there's the picture that John receives of what the end times will look like. And there's loads of detail in there and things that we could pick up on. But it's a picture, fundamentally, of newness. It's a picture of Jesus coming back and bringing a newness to all things. So Jesus says in that revelation, I am making all things new. When you hear the stories of patients who've had a heart transplant, they talk about their whole sense of life being rejuvenated. They talk about having a new lease of life because often their bodies may have been aged, but they've now got the heart of you know, a 25-year-old. And so they suddenly have this kind of new lease of life. There's a newness. Um, if some of you are, uh, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if some of you are old enough that you grew up watching black and white TV, um, my, uh, my dad was, and I remember him talking to me about the fact that when he grew up, he loved watching Thunderbirds, right, when it first came out, okay? And uh, he used to watch Thunderbirds on their little black and white TV, um, and because it was black and white, he had no idea what colour all of the rockets were actually supposed to be. Um, and this was before the time of sort of, you know, mass merchandise and stuff like that. So he had a Thunderbirds colouring book and he didn't know what colour to colour in the rockets because he'd only ever seen it in black and white. So he got all the colours wrong. And then they got a colour TV. And suddenly it was like watching this show that he really loved and that he'd been used to from a completely different perspective. And it was full of colour. It was what they called then technicolour, you know, because it was like cutting edge, right? Colour, colour TV. So he got to watch Thunderbirds in colour and it brought everything to life. Or maybe you know somebody, or maybe this has been you, maybe uh, you've had a cataract removed. I've had members of my family that have had cataracts removed from their eyes, and they've said that the experience has been that um, their vision was slightly impaired beforehand. These cataracts were removed, and suddenly... It's like they're able to see everything in high definition. There's a sharpness and there's a clarity that there wasn't before. And that's something like what John is writing about in this vision in Revelation, where Jesus comes and says, I'm going to make all things new. And actually, the created order, the heavens and the earth in the end times are going to be like they are now, but a million times better, more beautiful, more vibrant, sharper and clearer. Well, let's come back for a minute to that question that I posed right at the beginning that primary school children have often asked me. Where is God? And when you look at this passage in Revelation and this picture of the end times, where do you see God in that vision? Where is God present? Well, if you have a look at verse 2 in chapter 21 onwards, uh, you'll see. This is what John writes. 
I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. So where do we find God in this picture of the new creation? The answer is we find him coming down from heaven to earth. John writes that he saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God, coming down from heaven to earth. That's really important because in, uh, in ancient Greek philosophy, around the time that this is being written and shortly after, the received wisdom about what happened to you when you died and the received wisdom about what would happen at the end of the world was that the physical earth and everything that we can see would basically be annihilated and destroyed. Because in Greek philosophy, anything physical, anything that was material matter was unspiritual, it was unholy, it was sort of dirty and solid. And so all of that would be wiped away and the spirits of human beings would escape from their bodies and you would rise up sort of into the ether, as it were. So all these images that we find in popular culture of disembodied spirits sitting on clouds and playing harps and all of that sort of stuff doesn't come from the Bible. It really comes from Greek philosophy, this idea that you would escape the body and float up to be with the gods. And the Bible says the absolute opposite of that. The image that the Bible gives us is not of us floating up in the sky to be with God. It's of God coming down from heaven to be with us. All the way through the Bible, we see a picture of a God who is constantly on the move and he is moving towards us. From Genesis to Revelation, the picture of God is a God who is moving towards his people. Right at the beginning of the Bible story in the book of Genesis, where do we find God? We find God walking in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden with Adam. Just imagine that picture for a moment. It's a, a beautiful summer's evening and Adam, the pinnacle of God's creation, who's been created to steward the earth, there he is in the garden and God is walking arm in arm with him in the cool of the day. That's where the story starts. Track your way through the Old Testament and you get a picture of God meeting with his people through prophets and through Moses and through all the leaders of the Old Testament. All the time, God is moving closer and closer and closer to his people. There are some amazing stories in the book of Exodus where Moses goes up on the top of Mount Sinai to be with God and to pray. And in one occasion, he comes down again and his face is glowing white because he's been in the presence of God. He's been in the glory of God. God. 
All the while, God is moving closer to his people. And of course, the climax of that story is 2,000 years ago, where God himself comes down to earth in human form, in the person of Jesus. He's born into poverty. He's born in a little-known backwater town called Bethlehem in a cattle shed. And he comes to be with us. All the time, God is on the move. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray, that prayer that we're going to pray in just a minute when we come to communion, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, pause for a minute because we're familiar with that prayer and just get your head around what Jesus is saying there. What is he instructing his disciples to pray? He's instructing them to pray that God would be king on the earth as he is the king in heaven. That in the same way that God is the king in heaven, he would be the king on the earth. That is a phenomenal prayer to pray. We shouldn't pray it lightly. And so that's the move that God is always making. God is always wanting to come and be the king of our hearts and the king of our culture and the king of our society and the king of our church. And he will come and make his home in our hearts and dwell with us wherever we let him. The amazing thing is that whenever Jesus comes to dwell in our hearts as king, he brings change and he brings transformation. He heals broken hearts and he restores relationships and he makes all things new. And in the scriptures, we're given this amazing verse. We're told today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Church, I want to tell you this morning that throughout human history, God has always been moving towards his people. He has always been on this journey. From the time that humanity was created until now and until the time when Jesus returns, he will never stop pursuing the human race. And through the pages of history, God has been on the move, coming towards us, pursuing us in love, and he will pursue you from now until the day that he gathers you to be with him in his kingdom. He is always, always moving towards us. There are times, I know, when actually we don't feel like that's true. And we feel like we are distant from God. And it feels like God is somehow far away. And it's hard to see how God is intimate and how God is close. And there are times where we harden our hearts. And times actually when we don't let God in. And we don't welcome him. And there are times, I think as well, where we really struggle to encounter God and to have intimacy with him. Maybe through distraction, maybe through things that are going on personally in our lives, but we struggle to have that level of intimacy with God that he wants to have with us. But the truth is that God is always on the move towards us. He is always wanting to be close to us. He was always wanting to have our hearts. And we don't believe in a God who plays hide and seek with his people. We don't believe in a God who drops hints 
pounce and clues and then goes off to hide and makes it difficult for his people to find him. We believe in a God who is always, always on the move, who is always coming towards us in love. And he will come as close as you let him. He will dwell as intimately with you as you allow him to. What a God. What a God that we believe in and what a God that we have as the head of our church. Not one who is distant, but a God who is always moving towards us in love. A God who even at the end of history will not invite us to travel up to him and make the journey, but will come and make the journey towards us and come and make his home with us permanently and eternally. Let's stand, shall we? Um, Toby and Dan, I wonder if you guys could come up and just play through um, Cornerstone for us again. Maybe I can invite you to close your eyes and consider for a moment if any of this stuff touches you. Is it the case, perhaps, that you don't feel close to God? You get the theology, you get that God is close to us, but you don't feel like he is. Maybe if you're really honest when you examine your own heart, what you recognize is you have hardened your heart. Maybe through pain, maybe through doubt or unbelief, but you have hardened your heart and you've not given Jesus full and unfettered access. And maybe you've been in church at times and you see people caught up in worship and in intimacy with God and you think, wow, these people look like they're right there in the throne room. And I've never had that. I've never experienced that level of intimacy with Jesus. Well, he wants to come and meet with you now. He wants that level of intimacy with you. He wants to be the king of your heart. But you've got to let him. You've got to invite him. You've got to give him the permission. You've got to be open. Maybe you're hungry this morning for healing from him, restoration, encouragement. Maybe you've resigned yourself to a sort of lukewarm faith where God's at arm's length. But he never wanted to be at arm's length. And throughout history, he has been moving towards you, coming closer still. So would you receive him this morning? Would you let him in? Would you let him be Lord? If you recognize that any of that particularly speaks to you this morning, what I'd love you to do, because we're family together as church, um, we don't have two tiers of Christians, those that can pray and those that can't. We pray for one another. If you would love someone to simply lay a hand on you and pray for God's blessing, you don't need to move from where you are. 
but um, could you just stretch your hands out in front of you just in a posture of receiving so you've got open hands and maybe those that are stood around you if you feel able uh, lay a hand on those people um, move around if there are people perhaps in other pods who, uh, who haven't got anyone to pray with them just notice those people and move around and lay a hand on them and all you're going to pray is come Holy Spirit and you're going to invite Jesus to come and dwell in the hearts of those who have said today they want more of him is really biblical thing to do it's not a silver bullet it's not that when we do that everything magically changes but it is the beginning often of a journey of openness where we say Lord I want more I want more of you anything else that has taken your rightful place and come closer 